It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to Mark and Michael's Musings, a matchsticks and gasoline podcast under the SB Nation podcast umbrella. Michael, how are we doing this afternoon? Ah, uh, doing not too bad, Mark. How are you doing? Oh, things are good. You know, it's cold here. We're getting a little bit of that cold that you guys had. Uh, not as bad, obviously. It's only with the wind chill minus eight here today. So it's it's balmy compared to what you guys were dealing with uh, in the last week or so. But otherwise, uh, things are good. So um, I guess we'll hop right in. Um, Flames, uh, coming off that uh, mammoth four-game road trip where they had to roll through the beasts of the East, and uh, they found themselves uh, pretty much eaten up and beaten up the entire way through after they uh, – had their way with the Chicago Blackhawks, uh, games against the Panthers, games against the Lightning, and the Carolina Hurricanes did not go so well for the Flames, Michael, did they? No, I think we, um, I don't think it was totally unexpected coming in. Like, you kind of would have hoped they could have stolen one on that trip. But um, I think we knew that the Flames were a team that still have, like, a couple of steps to take to get into that contender conversation. Like, I was thinking the other day when I'm kind of like tearing the NHL right now, like I would say the three teams they lost to on that trip are probably all in that like top tier, all Stanley cup contender windows. And I would probably put the flames like kind of in that third tier. Like there's other teams like Vegas. Um, some of the teams in the central, like Colorado, like they're all in the kind of championship tier as well. But then I would say even like one more step below the rest of them is where I'd put the flames right now. It's like, they're a good team. They're going to make the playoffs. They might even have a shot at winning around, but like, I think we just learned that they're probably not anywhere close to getting past like the second round at best right now. No. And I think we also learned too, that the East is where it's at. Um, and I think we could probably look at that record wise because Washington is still good. Um, you know, and then Florida, Tampa, Carolina, those three down the row, you look at that, they were outscored 16 to six in those three games after blowing the doors off of the Blackhawks. Um, the Carolina game was kind of close at four to three. And then it all just kind of went right into the toilet. The other two games weren't even close. Um, they were just from the start of the, the puck drop. They just couldn't handle the other two teams. And I think that definitely tells, I think, Flames management that if they're going to do anything in the playoffs this year, they need to make a move come deadline time, right? Because there's, there's got to be something else added to this team to make it work. Well, yeah, it's I think it's something we've been saying pretty much all off season, all last year, like they need more scoring help. And even Daryl Sutter, Mr. Defensive minded coach, like even he's bringing it up in the press conferences. Like it's, it's not a huge stretch to figure out why this team is struggling. Like when you look at the Carolina game, they got up one, nothing early. They controlled pretty much that entire first period, but they weren't able to find that one or two more goals to make it like two, nothing, three, nothing really take a hold of the game. And then we saw Carolina tie it late on just a deflection goal. And then the flames were never really in it after that. So I think at this point, there's no, it's like, it's not even a discussion. They need at least like one, maybe even two more like talented scorers that can um, really help this team kind of on the offensive end. Cause defensively, they're still playing decent hockey. Like I didn't think they were outright terrible in any of those games, but like if they're not scoring goals, like they're, they can only hold on for so long with like some of the good goaltending they had early in the year and only so much defensive structure before it doesn't really mean anything. 
Yeah, I didn't think overall, like the Flames goaltending, excuse me, was terrible in their three losses. I mean, there was a lot of tips, a lot of screens, um, redirects, that type of stuff. So I didn't really think, I mean, should they have made some saves here and there? Yes, Sutter brought that up. He's like, sometimes your goalie has to be better than the other goalie. But um, the Flames also ran into some really good goalies on the road that shut them down too, right? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, like Bobrovsky was pretty good in the Panther game. Um, Vasilevsky, he's the best goalie in the world right now, like bar none. He was solid, although the Flames didn't muster a ton against him that game regardless. But, um, yeah, I I thought, like you said, the goalies were probably the second best each of the three games they lost, but I don't think they were the the main or even one of the big reasons they lost. I think it was just... As an entire team, they were the second best team on the ice all three nights, pretty much. Yeah, and you kind of heard that from Daryl Sutter in his press conferences, too. I mean, I'm paraphrasing because I'm not reading them or playing them in front of me right now. But, you know, he was like, I don't think we were terrible. They were just better than us. You know, and they flat out said it. And I, and it's nice to finally hear coach speak that's honest. It's not like, well, if we had gotten another power player, we had done this. He just thought it's like, they're just a, they're just better teams than us. And I think that has to trickle upstairs to Brad for living, too, to hear his head coach be like, yeah, we can't beat these teams as we're structured. Well, yeah, exactly. And I think it's refreshing to see a coach that's just kind of, like you said, is straight up with things. Um, I like that he doesn't get too down after losses. I mentioned this on Twitter like three or four days ago when he was having that press conference. Like, I've noticed when they win, too, he's not like too rah-rah after the games. He's often talking about things they could have done better when they've won. But like after they lose, he's not throwing guys under the bus like uh, Tippett did the other day with that Koskinen in Edmonton. Like, I'm, I'm glad we have Daryl Sutter as our coach right now. He's coached long enough. He's seen this all before, so he knows what he has to do to fix it. And, yeah, it's, uh, it's refreshing to have a coach like this, like you said, who just kind of tells it as it is. Yeah, and he knows the ebbs and flows. And, I mean, he's not stupid. He looks at the – Calgary's had such success on the road that eventually there was going to be one of these road trips where it all just goes to hell. And, honestly – I'd rather have them lose to Florida, Tampa, and Carolina than hit the road and lose to like the Islanders, uh, you know, pick some teams, you know, the Islanders, Devils, whatever. You know, you'd rather see them lose to the the top three teams in that at the Eastern Conference than struggle against teams that, you know, they should be playing better against. So I got no problems there. I agree. They need to add some sort of offense. Defensively, I'm with you. I don't think they're terrible. Zadorov had a couple of rough games on that trip, but I, I don't think Michael Stone or anybody else coming in to play defense on that trip was going to get the Flames uh, any kind of advantage in that trip. So uh, just time to add some scoring, I think. I'm with you. Um, Speaking of guys scoring and doing well, um, Johnny Gaudreau having himself quite the season, which I think we all obviously know. And um, 38 points, he's tops on the Flames, seven points ahead of uh, Matthew Kachuk, really pulling away from Elias Lindholm, who was uh, tearing up at the start of the season. 10th in the league in scoring, second in the league in primary assists. Uh, and I know we gush over him all the time, but you really can't say much more about him, can you? Are we at the point where he gets a letter? Is, is he deserving of a leadership letter at this point? I think we got to be getting close to that. I think it's um, it's been one of the most interesting kind of storylines of the season, not just how much he's kind of bounced back offensively, but like, I guess playing with Elias Lindholm, Matthew Kachuk will do this, but playing this well defensively too, which is something we hadn't really seen from Gaudreau because it used to be, oh, when he's on the ice, he'll score the goals, but he'll, his line will also give some up. That's You win some, you lose some when you have a player that good. But to see him and his line mates really controlling the play like that and Gaudreau just playing ridiculously on the offensive end of the ice this year, he looks confident, he looks fast. He's making his moves. He's 
his wicked wrist shots on those breakaways that he's had, like probably four or five of at least this year. Like it's just it's you can see it's like the Lucic five hole. You can see it coming, but like the goalie still can't stop it. It's just I think it's got to come down to when you're looking at this off season. Like I think minimum he's almost pushing nine million dollars right now, assuming he has a decent playoffs at least. But like I don't see how he comes in at a number less than that based on how well he's played across the board this year. No, especially when your head coach comes out too and says, you know, he's become a great defensive player. And he, the, he said one night, he's like, he was our best 200 foot player, all around player all night long. Um, and I love Johnny Gaudreau always have, I think you're the same, same way. You never heard any coach say, oh, he was great defensively tonight. He's just, he's taking, everybody plays better in a contract year. We know that, but this is not a rarity to see Gaudreau play well. I think that, and the defense, you know, there was that concern. There's, oh, is he going to be a guy that's going to be able to flourish in a Daryl Sutter system? I think he's the best. It's the best he's ever been. And he's playing in Daryl Sutter's system because he has to be held accountable for defense. Yeah, exactly. That um, playing with his linemates, like I said, helps. But we're seeing just like the things like the extra back checking, the being in the right position, just little things that weren't always there before that are there this year. And I think like some of that comes from coaching. Some of that just comes from him kind of, settling more and more into an NHL career but like it's it's just so impressive to see like knowing every time he's on the ice he's being a difference maker whether or not he's scoring and yeah I, I I'm throwing him the blank check at this point with how good he's been this year yeah and he's going to make things extremely difficult for Calgary this offseason with the three big guys they have to but also Manjupani's play has kind of settled itself you know water seeks its own level he's come back down to earth a little bit um so you know maybe he's not going to get what we were thinking maybe at the start of the season, unless he goes on a tear, but yeah, it's it Goodrow has to be the priority. I mean, I don't see how he could not be And you know, the way Monaghan's been playing, like you even saw it, like trying to get him going with Goodrow on that line didn't work. And it's just, I think maybe it's time. We, maybe the, you pull the, the letter, maybe it's next season. You obviously wouldn't do it during the year, but I think it's time for Goodrow to get a leadership letter, which I didn't think was something he would ever do with Calgary. Yeah, uh, regard with regards to Monaghan, I am very much ready to do whatever it takes to kind of end that relationship. I think they've tried kind of pretty much everything at this point. I just think it's not there. Um, whether or not that happens during the season or hopefully the off season, like I think you have to look at all the options. Whether you can send him somewhere like the Coyotes for like a sixth round pick and just be done with it, be done with the cap hit, use that cap space to do something else. Um, yeah. The worst case, well, not even worst case, but like another option, I guess, would be the buyout in the summer, which would, I think, save the team about $4.2 million or somewhere in that neighborhood. So, like, there are options, and I'm kind of just at the point where it's like, I think you could probably send him somewhere, even if it's for nothing, where they'd take that whole cap hit to try and be the team that resurrects his career. And I think it's kind of like the Sam Bennett. It's kind of just like, okay, it's time. There's a, we've tried some stuff now, and it's just, that both sides will be better for it, I think. So I think we're kind of past the moving him around the lineup thing. Like he's playing fourth line most of the time now, and even he's not. He wasn't even on the top power play for the entire road trip. I I think it's just time to try and figure way. Even if you have to send him down, honestly, at this point, I think it's it's time for some sort of resolution here. Yeah, because there are enough players within this organi- organization that could easily come up and fill that fourth line spot uh, and be a center um, and get more minutes. So there's that. I mean, you could bring Pelchier up. You know, you, you could, there's guys you could give a look to just maybe it's a couple nights in the press box or something. I don't know, but it's a lot of money to be spending on a guy who's and he, I mean, honestly, look, we hammer on him, but you feel but you feel for him. You know, Sean Monahan's always been a good trooper, played hurt, um, you know, was 
never a, a dynamic offensive talent from the standpoint of like putting the puck on a stick and rushing end to end, but he knew his spot, sit there in the slot, feed pucks on a stick back of the net. And it's, but it's just not happening anymore. Whether that's injuries or maybe he plateaued and he's on the back end of it. It's just, it's tough to see it happening, but if Calgary is going to make any kind of run in the playoffs, Monahan can't be a guy that's out there with him because he just doesn't have it. Yeah, and I agree. And I'm sure as frustrating as it is for us as fans, it's probably 10 times more frustrating for him because he's a guy who, no questions asked a few years ago, was a 30-goal NHL or regularly. And I think at this point, yeah, he's it, it's just time for a change. And like you said, I think we have guys like Peltier who could even jump all the way up into like a middle six role. Um, Ruzichka, I'd like to see some more of. I've liked the flashes of him, like Matthew Phillips. Like there's enough guys in Stockton right now that I think the Flames could bring them up, even just for a short-term yeah. look. Um, we've kind of seen that, like, obviously, like we said, they're looking to make probably a big ad at some point near the deadline, but you're going to have maybe a month, month and a half here where if you want to try some of these young guys who are more offensively focused, like, this is probably the best opportunity you're going to get. And it, especially guys like Phillips, like, who are probably close to the end of their tenure with the Flames if they don't get a shot soon, like... I was saying today, you have to know what you have with them, at least give them a shot. Because, like, if he, he could very easily leave at some point in the next couple of years and maybe get a shot somewhere else. I think, I think he's done enough for this team and the franchise to at least earn himself an extended look. And this isn't like a fourth line with Brad Richardson and Milan Lucic look either. This is like a, at least a third line, like, get a chance to succeed kind of look that he's more than deserving of. Yeah. And I think too, when you think about it, like if you bring those guys up, are they going to be any better, any worse? Are they going to get less from them than you're getting from Richardson, Dylan Dubé, uh, Lewis, you know, Pitlick when he's on the ice, not off this. I mean, are you, you know, they're not going to give you any less, right? I guess yeah, so it's, that's how I look at it. Yeah. It's kind of like the right now, I think you're at a point in the season where you have to test the unknown. Like, you know, playoffs is one thing like maybe you want to know what you're going to get every night it's like a michael stone or something or like you said like a pit like like you know what you're probably going to get every night but right now we're 30 games into an 80 game season like i think you got to kind of see what you got for some of these unknowns maybe give them 10 15 games and who knows maybe that's how you stumble on a really good talent that was kind of just in the ahl and you didn't really think they were going to make it like that's kind of how they found out well, that's kind of how Manjapani kind of settled in in uh, 2018-19, kind of second year with the team. He kind of just kept getting better. And then by the playoffs, he was playing a big role for the team. So I think we could see the same thing, but they have to at least try. Yeah, no, I agree. And maybe, you know, one of those guys or maybe a guy like Brad Richardson will turn into, you know, playoff Sam Bennett. You know, you get nothing <laughs> out of a guy during the regular season. And then in the playoffs, things happen. I mean, I don't expect Brad Richardson to lead the Flames in scoring, but maybe you get a guy that when you get to the playoffs, steps it up a little bit. But I agree. Uh, you know, you know what you've seen out of Dubé. Dubé's just snake bitten. He just can't put the puck in the back of the net. Can't even hit the net for the matter of fact. So speaking of guys who put it in the net a little bit on that road trip, we got to see a little offense out of Blake Coleman, which was nice to see. I'm, I'm kind of hoping that road trip, gives him the little jump, little boost in confidence that he needs because defensively he's been fantastic. I mean, part of his problem is he spends so much time on the PK that he doesn't, you know, his, his five on five time does get diminished, but that's what happens when you're a good defensive hockey player. But um, playing against teams he used to play against, I mean, Florida, he was fired up crazy. He was fired up on Tampa. You know, they gave him the really nice tribute. Um, I'm kind of hoping we see that Blake Coleman from here on out. Yeah, I think um, I haven't had any too many issues with his play like overall this year i know some people have been kind of clamoring like where are the points where are the goals and that all makes sense but yeah like to see him really jump off the uh 
page like that with the I think it was a 12 shot game against Florida like it was yeah. um it was impressive to see him kind of pull it all together like you said probably maybe playing against some of his old rivals and his former team like that probably helped a bit but um hopefully give him a bit of a confidence boost and yeah if he can kind of bring that level like he's obviously not going to do this those kind of games every night but if he can be more regularly like that I think it kind of adds another element to the team where he was already doing pretty well. Like, I think if you can add that little offensive kick, like we said, that'll help a lot. Yeah. And I think too, um, playoff time, that's a guy you want in your locker room, uh, back-to-back Stanley cups, you know, veteran of the playoffs in the NHL Calgary doesn't have a lot of guys like that. They've got him, they've got Lucic. Um, so it's, you know, it'll be good to see how those guys help give the flames a boost, I guess, locker room and on the ice wise when playoff time comes. Cause they've been there. You know, most of these guys on the flames roster have quote unquote been there, but it's been very brief. Uh, it's been kind of like you touch your, put your toe in the water, then you're out. Whereas guys like Coleman and Lucic have gone swimming, you know? So it's, yeah, there, there are, there are options. Uh, speaking of offense, Jack Eichel on the ice. Now uh, you were saying earlier, non-contact Jersey on. So he is skating and practicing with the Vegas golden Knights. Um, Look, Calgary was probably, he was never coming to Calgary. The Flames weren't going to get him. It wasn't going to work player-wise, salary-wise, everything else. But um, we're looking down the barrel of the gun of looking at Jack Eichel skating in the Pacific Division pretty soon. Yeah, with Vegas already jumping back into first. Like, I think at this point, you almost got to write off the uh, first in the Pacific. Like, that's going to be Vegas's, especially with Eichel. So, I don't know. I, I just saw today, like, I think it was, like, literally back-to-back tweets. I saw, it's like, Eichel skating in Vegas, and then they... The Flames practice their lines wrote Tyler Pitlick's in the top six, and that—that's that, when I just debated getting back into bed and uh, turning off the lights for the day. So I, I'm kind of just—I hope he has a great career there, but it's—I I really wish the Flames could have figured that out. Like after what they rumored he was going to go for, which was stupid—that like stupid package that came out than what he actually went for. I, I really wish they could have figured it out somehow, but yeah. Oh, well, we're, we're always number two in this city. Brad Sherlivan likes to be the second place, I guess. Lots of silver medals around his house. And then you just look at the 106 points in the top two in Edmonton, you know, dealing with Though Edmonton's in a free fall because they've got clearly got issues in net. Um, coach has issues with who he's got in net. So Edmonton's kind of falling apart. You know, they had that nice little free fall and all the stuff is happening and the flames still are going to have to make up what 12, 13 games at some point. So you know, they got that yeah, going for them, the chance to sort of climb back up, but God, it's, yeah, it's kind of like one of those things where it's like a lot of those teams ahead of them. It's like, yes, they have games in hand, but it's like six games in hand and they have to make up like 10 points or something. It's kind of like, uh, yeah. at some point games in hand only means so much when you get so far behind. Like it, it's, I, I have hopes they'll still be like, I think they could still very easily finish second in the division, especially if Edmonton keeps kind of falling apart like they are, but yeah, they, uh, I'm hoping for the 30 game homestand at the end of the season. Cause I think right now they've played like 11 of their 33 games have been home games. So like they're going to have some long home stretches to finish the season, especially with this new uh, schedule coming out with the break factored in, like it's going to hopefully they can figure the dome out. Cause if they could, they could really uh, do some cooking there. Yeah. A hundred percent. They got to get back on home ice and play well. And you know, like what's around like, uh, flourishes the fl- but they, they need to be good at home because they haven't been good at home they've been average the good news is only two games left against vegas so they get that going for they're only gonna face eichel twice during the regular season one postponed the other one coming on um april uh 14th uh, if we ever get to that point um and at least it's not in vegas so that's good you know they don't have to go no more that vegas curse yeah. <laughs> the vegas yeah, exactly flu, whatever that's you want to call it a nice bonus um, of the new season 
right? All right. Well, I think that wraps up our hockey talk on this uh, half of Mark and Michael's musings. And we come back, we're going to talk about the NFL. We got wild card weekend. My team fired a coach. Everything's a hot mess. Uh, we also got some baseball talk as well. And some hindsight is 2020 talk. So we will take a quick break and we'll be back on Mark and Michael's musings. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Welcome back to Mark and Michael's Musings, a matchsticks and gasoline podcast. We hammered out the Calgary Flames in the first half. It was a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Now we're going to talk a little NFL football. Uh, week 17 ended last weekend. Uh, for some of us, uh, there is no football beyond uh, last weekend. And I woke up yesterday to not a Chevy Chase moment where like, if I woke up tomorrow morning with my head sewn to the carpet, I wouldn't be more surprised than I am now. Moment. Uh, Brian Flores out as the Miami Dolphins head coach. Um, apparently, there is issues with Flores and Chris Greer and him and Tua and him wanting Watson and just the hot mess that was the Dolphins season. I mean, at times it's hard to fire a coach when you you start one and seven, then you win seven in a row, you finish over five hundred, but it just seemed like it was a toxic mix there between everything he and two have gotten a little screaming match on the sidelines against uh, the game against Tennessee. Um, and, and you know, the locker room must've been a hot mess as well, but uh, Chris Greer stays, keeps his general manager position, which I, I mm-hmm. I'm kind of a little confused with that, with how they've done, but they got no offensive line and telling all the defensive players on the dolphins went to bat for him and being like, Oh, you know, coach flow was great. Not one player on the offensive side came out to support him. As a matter of fact, the minute it said he was released dolphins wide receiver, Devonte Parker liked the post, I think within like 30 seconds of it going up, <laughs> so, which is never a good sign. So dolphins out, um, Eagles, uh, wild card you're in, but you draw Tom Brady. <laughs> so, so yeah. It's a uh, best case scenario. Like, I, I don't know. I'm trying to be realistic. Like, I'm getting excited, but I'm trying to be realistic that they're playing Tom Brady, the defending champions, on the road on Sunday. So I, I'm trying to stay down to earth, but I'm also very excited because this was a four-win team last year that I think the over-under was like six. So just to be there, I'm pretty happy, although they had a pretty easy schedule the second half of the year. So I, I don't know. I'm trying to stay optimistic, like, but then there's the whole like, oh, they beat Tom Brady in the Super Bowl a few years ago, and like some of the guys are still here. So we're just gonna go into the game with zero expectations. Maybe we'll get lucky. They're they're playing with house money, which I think, as we've known in sports over the years, it's kind of a it's a dangerous thing for a team with expectations to play a team that's just kind of happy to be there. So yeah. I don't know. Like maybe we're due for a Cinderella run. I don't know. It's just gonna be a. I'm just happy to be here. That's all I gotta really say about it. 
Hey, at least you got one more week to watch meaningful football. You know, uh, and Tampa's laid some eggs this year, so who knows? Uh, your other games this weekend on Saturday, uh, you got the Raiders and the Bengals. Um, I think that should be a fun game. There could be a lot of points put up in that one. I don't know how you feel. I like Cincinnati. I think Joe Burrow's really coming into his own, and they've got enough weapons. Um, I'll, I'll probably look to take Cincinnati in that. How about you? Yeah, I think the Bengals are a team that uh, they, they're back in the playoffs. They didn't have a lot of success in their last kind of – runs through the playoffs so i i and i i don't know i think the raiders are a good team but i don't know they found a way to win like the clutch games this year but i just don't have full faith in them either so i think we could very i think we see the Bengals make a, a bit of a run and i think it starts by being the raiders yeah i can see that uh your next game is the night game on saturday and that's going to be the uh, patriots and the bills um the best case scenario is the stadium opens up and the ground swallows both teams and nobody wins. So that would be the best case scenario. Um, I think Buffalo takes this one, but I will say, Bills, just listen. If Mac Jones only throws the ball three times, they're going to run. So just <laughs> stop the run. Okay, Buffalo. Um, I take Buffalo on that one. How about you? I don't know. I Something's telling me Patriots. I don't know why. Like I just haven't been as impressed with Buffalo this year as I was in previous years. And even in previous years, they kind of laid an egg after that. So... I don't know. Something's telling me, like, uh, unfortunately, we might be seeing the start of a new Patriots run, as sad as it is to say. Like, I, I think I would take the Patriots, actually. Well, that's the last you will hear of Michael. He's just been fired from everything. <laughs> so we got that going for him. Uh, we already covered Eagles, Buccaneers. Um, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to take the Eagles in this one just because I hate Tom Brady. And if the Dolphins aren't winning, no team in Florida should win. So um, next up, uh, 49ers, Cowboys, a game I could not care less of, like, there is nobody in that game that I care about. Uh, it's probably going to be Cowboys. I mean, you want to cover your ears for this one. Just with what happened to them and the Eagles the other night, I'll go with Dallas on this one. That was such a stupid – What the, the Cowboys played their starters against, like, the Eagles practice squad and parking lot guys <laughs> to, like, the end – to, like, early fourth quarter, and they were still celebrating all their t- – it was such a stupid game. But um, I don't know. I want to take the 49ers just because uh, I know Gordy, who's on our other podcast, he's a huge yeah. 49ers fan, so, like – I don't know. I, I just can't willingly pick the Cowboys for anything, regardless of what my gut tells me. So, uh, yeah, let's go Niners, I guess. Fair enough. Uh, next up uh, on Sunday is the Steelers and the Chiefs. Um, if Roethlisberger loses, probably the last game he'll ever play in the NFL. Um, Patrick Mahomes' brother will be there being annoying, doing dancing TikToks on the sidelines, uh, calling out restaurants on Instagram and everything else. Uh uh, probably Mahomes and the Chiefs. I think that offense is just too good. They're just a good football team. I'll, I'll take the Chiefs on that one. Yeah, me too. It's not even going to be close. But um, should we talk about how almost chaotic the season ended on Sunday with the uh, almost tie in the Chargers-Raiders game that would have knocked out the Steelers if the Chargers <laughs> didn't call that timeout? Like, that that was a crazy Sunday in general because, like, it had to start with the Jaguars beating the Colts, which... right. That wasn't going to happen, and then it did, which was, again, very funny as an Eagles fan, watching Carson Wentz fall apart against the worst team in football. And then, yeah, just watching that overtime and watching, like, the because I was watching the Steelers SB Nation page, and it was just melting down with, like, each team just kicking (laughs) field goals and running out the clock in overtime. And, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? I just, I love when stuff like that happens. We love it. Like you say, Maddie says it, like, chaos. We love chaos. Uh, You know, my son was even saying, he goes, ties would be awesome. I'm like, yeah, right. you know, just to totally screw things up. It would, I just, I love when it comes down to that last week. Cause I'm a big fan of, you have to take care of your own business win and you'll be fine. Like 
watching the Dolphins have to be like, oh, we need this team to do this and this team to do that and watching them lose to Tennessee. In effect, you're done. So it doesn't matter. Like you didn't take care of business. You're out. So, yeah, I love chaos. I'm with you. Um, final game uh, will be the Monday night. The, the first ever Monday night wild card or game will be the last NFC one. And that's Cardinals Rams. Um, I don't have a strong feeling about this game one way or another, but I will say I've always felt bad for Matthew Stafford. Just like kind of like how Barry Sanders was in Detroit. So go Rams. Yeah, I'm on board with that. Um, I think the Cardinals are a team everyone would like to see succeed, but I just think the Rams are a bit too talented to at least lose this first one. And I don't see them going much farther than this, but I, I think uh, the, the Cardinals have shown some cracks in the, over the course, like the second half of the season. So yeah, I'm I'm behind the Rams for sure. It'd be nice to see Matthew Stafford play like, you know, two games, play two weekends yeah. in the playoffs as opposed to. So, yeah, that's our wrap for uh, that's our football wrap. Unless you get anything else you want to add. Um, you know, I'm just kind of hoping Miami picks a proven head coach. Doug Peterson's a name that's been thrown out there a lot. He's got connections with Miami. He was Marino's backup. He's good friends with Marino. You obviously know Doug Peterson. Um, you know, I wouldn't hate that. I wouldn't hate Jim Harbaugh. Um, I just want somebody who's going to win, and I don't care who's their quarterback as long as it's not Jacoby Brissett. So, and I think I'm officially done with football now until the Dolphins make a hire <laughs> or they fire their GM. Uh, baseball, something we and I have never touched upon on this podcast. Uh, MLB uh, negotiators are actually going to meet this Thursday. Just came out before we were getting on the podcast that um, they are going to meet and try to negotiate. Obviously, they are in a lockout. Baseball loves its lockouts. Um, so we'll see how that works out. But we were talking baseball. I know there was a four or five year stretch with the Cubs where I watched probably 158 games a season. Um, I buy the MLB package. Um, it's, you know, I'm not promoting anything. It's probably the best package for your money. Um, you pay like $80 for 162 games plus spring training. It's a deal. Um, but at some point in life, you go, I can't watch that much baseball. Um, so you asked the question to me, how much is too much? Or what's like the cutoff for like how much baseball you can watch? I think you could probably, from my end, maybe like 100 games. And that's not sitting down first pitch to final out. Like you could probably do 100 games with like the game on in the background while you're on the grill or you're hanging out with friends. Maybe you've got like you pop in five or six innings. Like being a National League fan, you're a National League fan. The game moves a little bit faster than it does like I have friends like I don't know how they watch those five and a half hour Red Sox Yankee games from start to finish. Like I just have I have better things to do in my life. So I say around 100 games ish and maybe go between like go 80 to like, you know, give it like a 20 game pad or whatever. What what do you think? Yeah, for me. So I'm a I'm a Nationals fan at heart. And then also I like the Blue Jays just because being Canadian, whenever they're good, the whole country kind of goes nuts for a little while. Um, yeah, it, It's one of those things where like I'll watch the first maybe two or three weeks of the season, like you said, like not avidly watching, like you'd watch a hockey game or a football game, but it's on at least. And then like, I probably do, unless my team's like really killing it off the start. I kind of go through a stretch where it's like, Oh, you just check your score, your phone each day. Cause you know, they played, but you didn't really care. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, I know for the, the blue Jays, at least this year, I probably watched every game from mid July through the end of the season. When they made that run, they ended up missing out by like half a game or a single game. So that kind of sucked, but it was at least exciting. But uh, I don't know. For me, I can't watch more than maybe like four days in a row before I start to kind of lose it. Or like, I, I know like the midseason, like I just can't do. I'll watch the odd game here and there, but it's one of those things where it's like, in a way, it seems like, the, oh, this game's not going to matter. But then at the end of the year, you always see, like I said, a team misses by like a single game. It's like, oh, if they just done one thing right in that one game we watched in 
April or May, like they'd be in a different spot now. So I don't, I just can't stay focused for 162 of them. I think that's why we like football. That's why we like hockey. There's a lot less of them. So I don't know. I usually cut, I would say probably over the course of the season, I'd watch like 60 games. Like I'm a pretty casual baseball fan. And like you said, maybe avidly watch like every pitch of like 20 of those, maybe like, it's, it's just one of those things that I like the sport. I like to play it. I like to watch it when my team's good, but especially if your team's not good, like, if you know your team's going to be bad by, like, May, you're not even, like, you're checking the scores every day. That's about it. Yeah, well, I know the Cubs are going to be bad from today uh, when <laughs> first pitch happens. So, uh, I mean, I'll watch spring training games. You know, as, there's always that, like, it always feels like I love opening day of baseball. It's like there's something about it. It always feels like the sun's out, the snow's melted. You have that smell of spring in the air. Um, but I also, I'm I'm a high school lacrosse coach as well, so, like, Opening day sometimes is a no-go for me because we have tryouts in practice. I'm usually standing on a field and freezing in a light drizzle because we have tryouts in March, you know, so it's tough. But, like, baseball to me, there's just something about opening day just feels different. It's the, the smell in the air, the sun, everything else. But you're right. By mid-May, I'm like, hey, whatever. The Cubs are already 10 games out. They're, they're, uh, their payroll is like $30 million. They have nobody on the team anymore. It's just, you know, it's just, it's a hot mess. So baseball for me this year will probably be a definite way on in the background not that i'm a fair weather fan i do love my cubs you know uh it was tough to watch rizzo and brian and Baez all go bye and it'll be tough when wilson goes and, and there's nobody left on the team but kyle hendricks you know poor poor kyle hendricks by himself but you know we'll see how it goes so yeah i'm with you i can't focus that much on baseball um we got a little bit of time left here we um you were talking about hindsight's 2020 because um Bobby Clark went off on Ron Hextall and just the flyers are in like a, a giant dumpster on fire. <laughs> just having more gasoline poured into it um, about hindsight's 2020 moves. Are like, is you asked, is there a move that you immediately knew right away was a bad move? Like that you don't need to look back on. Um, why don't you fire off yours? Or if you have multiple ones, have at it. Well, yeah, I just wanted to say first, I wish we had Maddie on here. Cause I'm sure she would have thoughts on it. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so just for those who don't know, he basically threw him under the bus for uh, about in the 2017 draft when they had the second overall pick and they went with Nolan Patrick instead of uh, Kale McCarr and Miro Heiskin were taken right after. And basically he said all of our scouts wanted McCarr, but Hexel just went rogue and took Patrick against like everyone's wishes, which I mean, I'm sure that's not fully true. I'm sure that's partially just him being mad that McCarr is a generational defenseman and Patrick's no longer on their team, but Anyways, regarding uh, hindsight, like, again, that's fully like hindsight. Like Patrick was a consensus top two pick at the time, so wasn't the wasn't the quote from Clark? None of our scouts, no one wanted Patrick. Like it was. Like, <laughs> it was well, are, are those the same scouts that wanted to trade a first for uh, Ristolainen this year? So I, I, yeah. I, it, it's one of those things where it's like you win some, you, you be mad some. about it after, but just like that's you. I, I don't think Hextall was just grabbing the mic out of someone's hand being like, no, we're taking Patrick. So, yeah. Like, well, it is Ron Hextall. You know, he might have hit somebody. That is true, the yeah, mic. He might have. All right. So go ahead. Continue yours. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I think an obvious one to bring back for uh, Flames people, like, I think the Troy Brower one was like the day it happened. We're like, what are they doing? This is not going to end up like, well, like, sure. He might. We were hoping best case he'd be like a middle six forward, but like four and a half million dollars, which at the time was like a decent chunk of change for a free agent. I, I think that was just one of those ones like we you didn't really see how that could end like any way except like not well. How about yourself? Uh, uh, so many of them are 2020 like for me for the Dolphins like Jamar Fletcher over Drew Brees when he was in the draft. 
uh, passing on Russell Wilson when he was in the draft. And you could like, who else? Uh, who else did they pass on? Um, well, even like the taking Dante Culpepper over Drew Brees, which at the time Culpepper had that rocket for an arm. It just, you know, you do dumb things like that. But for me, I think it goes back to being a kid and it's probably a spite thing. Like one that I hated immediately was trading away Mike Vernon and going with Trevor Kidd. Um, Trevor Kidd never turned out to be much of anything with the Flames. Vernon obviously went on to be very successful with the Red Wings and win another Stanley Cup. And, you know, post post Detroit, he did not have exactly the best career with, you know, San Jose and Florida and then coming back to Calgary. But to me, it was always the they never should have got rid of Vernon. Um, that was always my big one. And um, and that's probably just being a child and being like, it's so stupid. I can't believe the guard my favorite player. I hated Trevor Kidd. And Trevor Kidd was never that good anyway. So it was just, that, that was kind of my that's probably my like hindsight. Be like, I told you you shouldn't have done that. But I mean, the Flames have so many of those, too. There's yes. all. There's Dougie Gilmore, even though that was never going to happen salary-wise. What they got for Gilmore was terrible. Um, Martin St. Louis, you know, what they got for Aginla, you can go down the road. But um, at least the Cubs had never really done anything really stupid like that. I mean, you know, my Red Sox friends will tell you the uh, Jeff Bagwell for Larry Anderson middle relief trade was uh, a bad deal for the Red Sox. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but yeah, I think, uh, yeah, no, I think that's probably my one that I always hated yeah. as a kid, you know. Yeah, for me, it's... I don't know. For me, it's like every team that you can look at like hindsight and like see moves like, oh, why didn't you do this at the time knowing what we know now? But it's like, like you said, it's the moves that at the time, it's like, what are you thinking? Yeah. Those are the ones that I think the most people have to like bring up. And it's oftentimes it ends up being like, right. That's like, what were you actually thinking when you look back on it three years later? Like um, one I've been kind of looking at recently is like the Eagles when they drafted Jalen Rager two years ago, right before yeah. Justin Jefferson, who's like a pro bowler and He's gonna be a perennial superstar in this league, and Rager can't even catch. I think he, ran, I think in the garbage game on uh, Sunday, he was he actually got a chance, and he got like ten yards on three runs and like three receptions for eighteen yards or something. Like it's just <sighs> they have Devonte Smith now, so I can't be too upset. But my God, I, I will that's say, why I'm I think scared that... that the Eagles have three first round picks this year because they've not done great things very recently with them. <laughs> Yeah, neither of our football teams are good in the first round. I will say, though, like racking my brain, too. I can't believe I forgot this one off the top of my head. It's probably the biggest 2020 hindsight because they screamed at the television. And I was so angry. It was when the 49ers took Alex Smith number one and the Dolphins were picking two. And I'm like, they have to take Aaron Rodgers. They have to. They don't <laughs> need a running back. And they took Ronnie Brown. And the entire rest of the draft passed on Aaron Rodgers. And the Packers took Rodgers, even though they had Brett Favre. And the Dolphins did not have a quarterback at that time. They did not have a quarterback. And they're like, and he's been okay Ronnie since Brown. then. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers has been. I mean, don't get me wrong. Look, Ronnie Brown had the Wildcat game in person, one of my favorite sports experiences ever in New England. But I was like, no, no, save it. No, no, no. <laughs> what are you taking a running back for when Aaron Rodgers? But that's just what happened. So, yeah, Mike Vernon and Aaron Rodgers, those are my two. So that's what I got. So, all right, cool. We're going to wrap up this episode of Mark and Michael's Musings. If you enjoyed this, please find us on Spotify, Google Podcast, or iTunes. Just search up Matchsticks and Gasoline. You can find this podcast along with past episodes of The Tinderbox and behind enemy lines we will have another tinderbox for you guys soon as well it's just people post holiday schedules have been all kind of messed up and all over the place so we will have something for you soon michael thank you so much for coming on we hope you enjoyed this and we will catch you next time on mark and michael's musings